When I met Fergal Lawler, Managing Director of Cisco Living, for our interview for this series, he had just days previously received some very big news. We have just recently won um, a large tender uh, with South Dublin County Council for 620 units, referred to as the Killinarden uh, scheme. And we're there with our partners in Okulon uh, Co-Housing and Kelland Homes. Did you hear about it by phone call, by email? How did you hear the news? Because it was quite recent. It was actually um, last uh, last Monday. And um, how, did, how did it come through to you? Uh, by, by, by email. It's, it started off with those key words that you're you're looking for of uh, you are the successful the successful party and uh, probably everything else after that just uh, just morphed I, I I perhaps stopped stopped reading and was share, sharing the uh, the good news uh, I'm glad there wasn't a camera focusing on me when I was doing it I did a little dance I think when <laughs> when I got that when I got that news. While of course this is great news for Fergal and for Cisk Living and the wider Cisk Group. What Fergal seemed particularly happy about gets right to the heart of one of the themes of this episode of Inside Sisk. Our projects are cyclical, uh, but but people have careers, uh, and it's it's how to create that that continuity. So, one of the the great aspects of of the Kilnarden scheme is that for our team within Sis Living, uh, they can see that that cyclical aspect, that risk associated with what happens at the end of our project. Uh, that that risk goes away because they can now see as a team that we have uh, a long-term a long-term future. Welcome to Inside Sisk, a podcast series brought to you by John Sisk and Son. I'm your host Patrick Hawhey, and in this series I am meeting the people behind the projects people like Fergal Lawler, Managing Director of Cisk Living. Fergal very eloquently touched on one of the themes of this episode just there, and that is winning work. Being aware of the opportunities that are on the horizon, putting together very strong and competitive bids to try to win those contracts, and then, if successful, putting your teams to work on those projects to deliver on the speed, innovation and excellence promised. Doing this over and over again is what creates a successful construction company. And after over 160 years in business, it is something that John Siskinson knows a lot about. We're going to come back to Fergal Lawler very shortly to find out a bit more about Sisk Living, how people want to live today and the modern construction methods that Sisk Living applies to deliver modern and sustainable housing. All of this is crucial to ensuring the company continues to win work long into the future. But first, let's look at what goes into the bit before the win, the time, the effort and expertise involved in the bidding process. So let's meet our other guest for this episode. Hi, my name's Katie Clossy. I'm the senior bid manager at Zisk. So my role, and I suppose the whole reason why pre-construction exists at Zisk is to win work. So if you want to sustain a healthy business, you need to have projects, you know, in your pipeline. Essentially, people come off jobs, they need somewhere to go, they need to go to that next job. And so our job is to win that work so that it's a healthy business. 
So basically, how, how maybe describe what the process looks like. If there is a standard process, does, you know, does a does a certain project go out to tender and you form a, a bid and go up against a, a number of other companies that, who are looking for that same work? Yes, that's exactly it. So what will happen essentially, and this can vary depending on the client. You know, obviously we have clients that we have... Um, We've maintained a relationship with them for many, many years, but then we have new clients. But essentially the the same process can apply. It depends. Um, A client or a PQS will come to us and say, hey, we've got this opportunity. Are you interested? And typically we would always say yes. And we would pre-qualify. They would send us documentation looking at our business as a whole, you know, our procedures, our standards, our financials. You know, they want to make sure that, you know, we're a healthy business. They want to look at past financials. They want to look at future turnovers and capacity levels. They want to know about numbers of staff. They want to know about our safety culture, our quality culture. Are we a diverse business? Are we inclusive? Are we sustainable? Those types of things. So it's looking at, you know, basic. Well, not basic if you look at it. It's very complex, but for the pre, pre-qualifications, they're standard questions um, that always get answered. And what they'll do is they'll evaluate you or CISC against a number of other companies and they'll whittle that down, and, you know, I don't know, for instance, it might be 10 companies that are really interested in this, but they'll whittle that down to maybe three or four. And then what they'll do is they'll say, hey, you've pre-qualified we're now going to go to tender and instead of looking at the business and maybe looking backwards at our results and our achievements, you're looking forward to the future. You're looking at how we're going to create value for them for this particular opportunity. So that's essentially it. And then what they'll do then is they'll then award the winning contractor. When you mention words like sustainability, diversity, um, culture, a lot of these feel like they've kind of become more and more important in recent years. So has the uh, has it become slightly more complex? Has it become slightly more detailed in terms of showing all of these varieties of things as opposed to just the ability to do the job? Yes. Um, it's really funny. I had a conversation with someone a couple of weeks ago essentially about this, you know, this person sort of said to me, it's really different. Tendering now compared to maybe 10 10 years ago is just so different. You know, essentially this is how I understood it, the way this person was describing it to me was that you would do do a program, you would do the price, you would show maybe a bit of methodology and that would be it. But now companies are, they want to know whether we're diverse, we're inclusive, we have sustainability goals. Are we... A responsible business, you know, looking at all types of things to do with employment affairs, everything, because essentially it reflects back on the client and, you know, it's important to them. Um, and so, you know, I suppose it's really funny because you always think of a company of being diverse, you know, it's just the way we are, but now you actually have to document that, you know, you might always have been that way, but now it's like, well, where's the evidence, you know? So it is important, definitely. What What is the feeling like of putting all that work in, knowing you're up against some pretty heavy hitters, some stiff competition, and the, 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 the mail comes through that you won the bid? How does that feel? Uh, it feels good. Uh, usually, yeah, no, it's always a good feeling. Um, there's been, 
yeah, it is always a good feeling. Um, I suppose there's a bit of closure and a bit of satisfaction out of your job, I suppose, when that happens, definitely. Um, and even if we lose, if we don't get the job, I suppose everyone is really proud of the way they, you know, how much work they put in. You know, there is a sense of achievement anyway because we're all, you know, when you submit something you're really happy with, it's a good feeling. And there is that sense of closure even at that point. But then if you do get to negotiations and it whittles down to maybe two, you know, two contractors of which we're, we're one, that in itself is something else again. So you kind of getting all these little milestones that kind of make you happy. If you don't win in the end, you always know that you've done a good job, you've done your best, and that's all you can really do, I suppose. Every company has its has its strengths and weaknesses. Um, are there when it comes to you know basically putting forward, starting out on the process of filling out all the different things that people want to know about the company as part of a tender? Are there certain sections, certain categories where you go, okay, we've got this nailed because I know Cisc is just so good at this compared to um, our competitors. Yeah, definitely. Uh, health and safety being one of them, we've won so many awards. Um, one recently, I think, uh, RSPA is like a industry recognised, internationally recognised safety award, for, um, and we won that. Uh, mental health is also another great one. Uh, being a green business, a sustainable business, we've won the Green Business Award two years in a row. Um there are so many awards that we win that really showcase how good CISC is and what they're really, really good at. And it's not just as a whole delivering a project or, you know, it's certain elements and certain subject matter experts have really built that up in the business so that you're looking at a whole package. Um, because if one falls down, essentially in pre-qualifications, um, you know, uh, you're looking at the business. So if you've had too many fatalities or any fatality, I mean, God forbid, <laughs> you would, you would, you know, a company would kind of go, well, they would get second guess whether you should be part of tendering for something. Hmm. So really as a whole, it's a company-wide effort when you're trying to go for new work because if one element is weak or we haven't performed well, then it affects the business as a whole. You know, essentially that's why you, you have to pre-qualify because they want to know all of this stuff. They're like, they're doing their due diligence, I suppose, which is a smart thing, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, like with so many things, the, the level of effort put in in planning stage and, and in these stages uh, really pays off in the latter stages and actually ends up saving you a lot of time. Yeah, I think there's so many people that are good at what they do in the business. They, um, you know, one of the core values is excellence and I think there's so many people that excel at what they do and I think it's really good to be part of a company where there are so many people that are really good at what they do and it shows, you know. Well, that value of striving for excellence is certainly a feature of Fergal Lawler's approach to building homes because the way people want to live changes and evolves and not only does a successful construction company have to know how people want to live today they also have to know how those same people will need to live tomorrow and many years into the future so let's go back to fergal and hear how cisc living tries to combine this knowledge and vision with innovative building methods starting with a little bit about the company 
So CIS Living is the low-rise residential arm of the CISC uh, group and that uh, involves various housing typologies of, of, of houses, uh, duplexes and low-rise apartments. Uh, we are currently building up to eight storeys for Dublin City Council uh, but our nominal uh, division between low-rise and mid-rise is at five storeys. CISC Living is relatively new, isn't it? It is. It's it's three to four years old uh, at this point. Um, I had the pleasure of being involved uh, in the early days of CIS Living uh, with, with Norman Higgins and, and Mark McGreevy. And uh, we won our first uh, project in St. Aidan's in, in, in Tallow, which was 74 units. And uh, it's good to see that that estate fully occupied now and um, is, is achieving everything that we set out to do. Just to put a bit of context on CISC as a residential home builder, um, maybe perhaps CISC is more well known for the for the big projects like Croke Park, etc., and Centre Parks. But CISC has been building houses for decades now. We have indeed. CISC uh, have been involved since the 1960s in the original development in Ballymun. And that was quite novel in its nature in terms of off-site uh, construction and, and use of, of, of precast. And um, so CISC has, has built, um, uh, certainly in the Irish market, uh, that, that probably um, died out perhaps in the, in the early 80s with the uh, focus in on, on more institutional and, and commercial developments. But along with the UK market, the CISC is, is in, the, in, in Ireland and the UK one of the largest residential builders uh, with probably over 2,000 units a year being built. Now, CIS Living can't claim the credit for that. That's along with predominantly our UK colleagues and those in Ireland East and Ireland South. Um, and am I correct that there has always been a focus on social and affordable housing as opposed to sort of developer-led private uh, development? It is indeed. One of the characteristics of the developer market is that uh, you build at the rate that the market can absorb. So, for example, if it's a 200-unit scheme, um, typically you might be on site for two to three years as that is is built out. Um, For us, in terms of our building model, we are a design builder uh, or a contract builder and our focus is to go in build uh, at a high um, at a high rate um, and to a high a high quality and standard for the end user so our end users in terms of social and affordable want to take that product off our hands as quickly as possible so typically if we're building a hundred unit scheme it would be one stage handover and typically at 100 units we could probably build that out in 12 to 13 months and how what way is a modern what way do people want to live today in terms of the actual design of a house we've seen you know over the decades things change so much you used to have the good room there used to be a dining room now there's a focus on a larger kitchen as the heart of the home so today in 2001 what is what what is the is the 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 house that people want to be in I think certainly open plan uh, living in the in the main in the main areas um, is is a very common a very common feature, and that lot that if you think about from the the front the from the front of the house to to the back tends now to be uh, one, one one room with that natural extension from 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 the kitchen and, and that 
um, generates, uh, I guess, um, more uh, passive involvement of, of, of everyone rather than uh, being locked away in, 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 two, in two rooms. Uh, but look, that, that evolves over, over time and one of the, the key characteristics uh, certainly of of the um of the units that we are building is 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 a concept referred to as lifelong living and 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 that contemplates how how um people will live and enjoy their homes over over its over its li- its lifetime so if people uh, come in as a young couple uh, in- into a home uh hopefully fully um able bodied and you know as as life progresses their families um you know uh, up 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 uh, up sticks and move on and and people become uh, perhaps uh, less able bodied as they as, as they get into their later years so to that end how how can you put in a, a stair lift um how can you knock down walls um to uh, to, to to allow for uh, greater flexibility so those types of of thought processes are going into the homes that we design now so uh, i think that hopefully that that will uh, will make homes more more livable and, and enjoyable yeah and in terms of their cons- the modern construction um is it correct to say there'd be a lot of focus on um off-site prefabrication if that's the right term Indeed, uh, and in, indeed, we, we work very closely with our sister company in, in Vision, Vision Built, um, and that allows us to to speed up the um, the the speed of construction uh, by doing more uh, more offsite, and indeed that is our our part of our strategic growth is to how to do more offsite rather than rather than less. Uh, such that, um, for example, at the moment we we would um, take in from 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 the likes of Vision Vision Build two uh, D um, uh, wall wall structures, but in time uh, we would like for that to be what we refer to as a closed wall panel, so that it comes with the insulation, with the plasterboard on, with the uh, with the wiring. Uh, in, in place, so therefore it 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 maximises the 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 offsite, um, the offsite contribution uh, to that, and and even hopefully towards uh, unitised external walls, which again uh, minimises the construction duration, uh, lessens the time that scaffolding is up around the perimeter of the house. Everything that Fergal has just spoken about is now coming together and forming a core part of his vision for the Killinarden scheme in South County Dublin, the major project that he and his team won just recently. Here he explains how. So if you take all of the things that, that we've talked about uh, so far uh, in terms of um, off-site fabrication um, and, and how people can enjoy their ultimately their, their homes we have a unique opportunity now to actually truly consider that cradle to grave approach so what we will be doing in terms of the planning permission that we will be bringing forward we will be looking at that through the lens of the end user but also the most efficient way to construct uh, and what I mean by, by, by that is, is time, cost and, and, and quality. And um, therefore, where we typically uh, receive uh, planning permissions uh, from 
a local authority or, or a client, they have in many ways prejudiced uh, a lot of the uh, the outcomes that they are seeking to uh, to achieve. And therefore, our contribution to, to value engineering um, and to um, and to giving great greater value ultimately uh, is, is is limited. We now have an opportunity to to walk the walk and to actually uh, put put all of that uh, those principles uh, together. So it's a really exciting opportunity for us and our team uh, to to have that pipeline of work. And and in many ways, for Sis Living as a as a young business, uh, it gives us that future pipeline. Uh, which in many ways we've been yearning for and that stability uh, in terms of our, our future growth and uh, we will move forward now with with uh, probably 30 to 40 million euros of, of work secured uh, in, in that in that time period which is significant for for a business of our size something very interesting came to light during my conversations with Fergal and Katie and that is they both grew up in families that were deeply involved in the industry. Both of their fathers were involved in construction and while in different ways and in different places, it was really interesting to hear how both Fergal and Katie uh, were influenced by their father's career. Katie takes us back to her early memories of visiting construction sites with her father. My father was in construction, he went to university in Brisbane, actually the same university that I went to, and uh, he did construction management. He ended up working for a company called Civil and Civic, which is now which was bought out at the time by Len Lease, and he worked on many sites throughout Australia. Um, actually, it's really funny, one of my first memories of um being on site and actually understanding or having visualising what he does or where he goes every day, you know, when you're really young, I probably would have been about five and he put a hard hat on me. No one was on site. It would have been maybe 95% complete and it was the Sheraton in Brisbane and it was a really tall tower. It was a huge, it was a huge project and he took me in and he put a hard hat on me just, just because he thought it was really cool and I just thought I was the bee's knees. And I, he took me in and then went in. I was just like gazing around going, oh, my God. And because, you know, when you're that small looking up at this massive tower, you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> and I yeah. remember he, we hopped into the elevator and there were obviously all these safety signs and stuff all over the place. And there was this sign and it was a flip-flop with a circle around it and across it, like you know, like those no smoking signs. Yeah. And this would have been like early eighties, and I'm giving away my age here, but I'll give you. <laughs> and I like I was like, he said to me, Katie, what do you think that means? And I sort of was looking at it, and he said that I thought about it for about thirty seconds. And I turned to him and I said, no smoking in flip-flops. And he was like, because I obviously <laughs> associated it with the no smoking sign, but I saw a flip-flop instead. So I said it, was, it meant no smoking in flip-flops. And he said it was really, it was really sweet because he said that he is now semi-retired and he has to give lots of presentations about safety and all sorts of things about the current business he's consulting for. And one of those health and safety presentations that he gives all the time to many, many people, he shows that sign and he tells them the story. And they, and he oh. said to me, and he said to me, 
I always get lots of people actually like really laughing because it's so it's so <laughs> innocent but what can you like what did it mean to me it didn't mean anything I obviously just associated it with the, the cigarette you know one and I, that's what I went yeah with. <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, that's very so. But uh, so tell us. So is it a, is it as simple as as it seems? Just no flip flops on site. Yeah, like back yeah. then, you can think about the safety. <laughs> the safety standards back then probably would have been, you know, na- looking comparing it to now, woeful. Probably, I mean, yeah, and oh, absolutely. I'd say he said, yeah, a lot of people did come on site, like tradesmen with flip flops, and you know, I was like, you can't wear those. Like, what are you doing? You're going to lose a toe, like. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, not so much of an issue on, on, on Irish sites and UK sites, I would imagine. No, <laughs> yeah, <whether. laughs> like, I know, definitely too cold. Yeah. So, so was he? Um, did that? Did growing up in a, in a family where your father was so involved in the construction industry mean that you would travel a lot? Was he sort of you know would you go around different parts of Australia where he was involved in 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 uh, projects? Yes. So after Bris- after the Sheraton. In Brisbane, we did the Sheraton in Darwin. We lived there for two or three years. Um, we lived in Gladstone. We lived in Brisbane most of the time. But um, you know, I can. I just remember my, my. I've got two sisters, and we sat down and we calculated how many times we'd moved house. Not necessarily moving state or you know, you know, long distances. But I think we calculated it to be maybe twenty-one times before I was. 20 something like that so yeah I'm used to to moving and yeah I honestly I don't know why my mother (laughs) allowed it it's like why are you going to move again what is wrong with you (laughs) yeah I suppose it's one of those things where you know I I guess it's a it's a choice and that you make because uh, the alternative was that I I guess your dad just lives away a lot of the time and um is that all that much better in some ways and depending on the family sometimes I'd say um it's what you're used to I think like there was a there was a time there where he was always in the Middle East and there's a time where he was always in Sydney because something was coming up you know he was always on a plane and I'd say it's all I knew so it wasn't even a big deal like it's not like I sat back and was like oh god I wish he was here more because it just was and, like, I had a happy childhood. I knew he loved me and I knew I ha- lived in a happy, loving family. Do you have, like, uh, uh, memories of, of your dad, like, w- w- when a project finished, for example, or, you know, you were driving past the Sheraton that he had just built, you know, was there was there a, a pride there in him and, I, I guess, uh, in turn in you then for what had been achieved because it's such a tangible result? Yeah, it is. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's um, it's changed hands it's not the Sheraton anymore it's something else and it's been refurbished but um you still go past those types of things and go oh that's so cool and I'd say a great many people in the construction industry feel the same um and it, I suppose that it is so nice that when you get closure like that you can actually see an end result I come from a family of, of builders. Um, my mum and dad had had their own um, a small um, residential building, probably building you know up to ten units a, a, a year. So I've I've grown up around around building sites. So it was a very natural progression uh, for me. And what was it like being part of a, of a family in that business? 
well, it, there was all there was always interesting places to go. And as a as a child, you, you know, you, we we had uh, uh, a large uh, shed adjacent to that at the house with all of the the key building building elements and rolls of fiberglass uh, at the time to jump up and down. And as a child, so um, it was always ex- it was always exciting and. Um, it, it taught me the, the, the very basics of um, attention to, to detail. Uh, I now have records. My, my dad sadly has passed away, but we now have records of every day and the records that he took about where each t- team were working, the number of hours they worked, the weather, uh, things we somewhat take for granted now. But as a, a self-thought builder, yeah. uh, it, it shows that attention to uh, to detail. But probably the, the biggest thing I, I, I take away from 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 my parents and and the building business is is, is hard work and uh, you know if you if you if you um, if you put that dedication in and you put the hard work in uh, then you know hopefully the sky the sky is the limit so uh, it, it was a uh, I look back very fondly in 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 terms of, of, of that growth and I have no no regrets in any ways as to uh, my uh, uh, my my dedication if you like uh, to the construction industry I probably was always a builder at, at, at heart um CISC represented the pinnacle um, of 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 that and um, uh, Mark McCreevy and I had been talking for some time uh, about about that opportunity to come in and uh, I'm very pleased that that uh, that Mark ultimately convinced me to uh, to come come on board and it's it's felt it's felt uh, perhaps it's a, it's an overused cliche to say it felt like home but it it has from the moment I arrived to to, to this day. Uh, there is um, the the CISC family um, have created a, a culture in CISC that I think is is absolutely unique, and um, I think it's it's evidenced in the longevity of of many many of its of its employees and as an employer of choice. And um, I, I'm certainly delighted to be to be where I am. And I guess in 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 recent uh, years, um, particularly the the focus in uh, and, and led by by Steve Bocott, um on mental health, that that part of of not only just being your work environment, but that that we come to work and and go home from from work um, as part of 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 how our family is, how our mental health is, how our, our personal relationships are. So uh, work is is in many ways uh, not only an extension of that, but a manifestation of 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 who you are as 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 as, as an individual. And I think the consciousness uh, as a business that we have allowed that to to to, to happen. Uh, is is really important, and I, I think of one of the things, um, particularly in the EY podcast series, where a lot of leaders of, of industry talk about being your unconscious self, and that you're you are best in terms of your performance if you are being your unconscious self. So if you're able to be the person that you are and able to perform uh, and, and excel in, in what you're doing, it's it's a lot easier for your energies to be in what you're doing rather than trying to represent yourself as someone that you're, you're, you're not. So, and I think a family, the culture of family, if you think about it, you know, in your, in your home environment, hopefully everyone just is their, their, their natural selves. And I think if you can do that in work, then that's, that's, a, that's a really good culture. You have to be a people person to work in tendering, I think. 
I don't think I'm shy at all. Um, you have to contact people you've never met. Um, sometimes that's a challenge for people. I don't know. But you definitely have to work well with different people and different teams simultaneously. And communication is absolutely vital um, because if you can't communicate exactly what you need and how you want it done and, you know, work as a team, then it'll fall flat. You know, it just on paper, it just does, doesn't sing, you know. Thanks to Katie Classy and Fergal Lawler for giving us an insight into the hard work being done by teams all across the CIS group to win new business, to deliver on the innovation and excellence promised, and to ensure that the company continues to thrive long into the future. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Inside CISC. Thanks for listening, and I hope you can join us again soon.